0: Welcome to CrimPod, the Australian Institute of Criminology's podcast series. My name is Rick Brown, and I'm Deputy Director at the AIC. In this episode, we're going to delve into one of the more disturbing crimes that's very much a 21st century problem. That is the use of live streaming applications available online to share the real-time sexual abuse of children, often involving the abuse of children from poorer, developing countries. These shows are usually sold to consumers, usually men, watching in wealthier countries such as here in Australia. And while statistics are hard to come by because of the very hidden nature of the crime, it appears that the problem is getting worse and spreading to more countries as internet bandwidth improves globally. Before we start, I just want to include a trigger warning at this point. Some of the material discussed is graphic in nature, so please consider if this episode is one for you. The discussion today is with two of ARC's researchers, Sarah Napier, who heads up the online sexual exploitation of children research programme, and Cohen Tunison. Senior Research Analyst in the team. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome, Cohen. Hi, Rick. Hi, Rick. So the RC has done a lot of work around live streaming of child sex abuse recently. Why is there a focus on that issue?
1: So I'll start by talking about a case that happened in 2016 when Task Force Argos, which is part of Queensland Police, conducted a raid on the home of a Queensland man uh, who was aged 58 years old. And they found that this man had been paying a woman in the Philippines to engage her two children in child sexual abuse while he watched the abuse and directed the abuse over Skype. So when this abuse started, the children were two and seven years old and the abuse went on for about five years or more. So this certainly isn't the first case of live streaming of child sexual abuse, as we call it in Australia. And the AFP have actually reported quite a number of these cases in Australia. We think that it's probably been going on as long as video chat functions have been invented. And it's not just happening in Australia. For example, the NGO Terre des Hommes had four researchers posing as a 10 year old Filipino girl in a series of chat forums online. And over a 10 week period, they had 20,000 people Request that this supposed 10 year old girl provide them with a webcam sex show. And these people were from over 71 different countries. That just gave us an idea of how high the demand for this type of abuse was. So after hearing about these cases, we decided to conduct some preliminary research into live streaming of child sexual abuse to just find out more about this crime, what the characteristics were and What we discovered is that there was actually very little information available. So questions like, how do offenders actually find victims? And what kind of prices are they paying for this abuse? Who are the facilitators that are arranging the abuse at the other end? And what can the transactions tell us about this offending? So there were so many unanswered questions, and if you want to prevent and disrupt this type of crime, you really need to be able to answer these questions. So at the AIC, we decided to begin a program of research that focused specifically on live streaming of child sexual abuse.
0: This is a truly horrific crime that's happening and to be doing research on, but tell us about the projects you've been undertaking in this area.
1: As you said, Rick, this is a very horrific crime and it's very harmful to children. It's also very difficult to investigate by police because there's often little evidence left over that the offending actually took place. For example, in child abusive images and videos, that material can be used in court as evidence that someone has conducted an offence. But with live streaming, it's not that simple. One particular characteristic of this offending, which is useful for investigations, is that it's usually accompanied by a payment. And as you know, in Australia, all international transactions are recorded by OzTrack. In other countries, they're recorded by other law enforcement organisations. And because OzTrack conducts their own investigations into child exploitation transactions, they were able to provide us with a data set of transactions from 256 Australians who paid to watch child sexual abuse occurring over live stream in the Philippines. So what we did is we analysed this data and what we learned from the OSTRAC data is that over a 13-year period, these 256 Australian-based people spent 1.3 million Australian dollars to view children being sexually abused in the Philippines. And these offenders made these payments around 2,700 separate transactions. We found that the transactions for each amount were fairly small amounts, around a median of $78. And when you think about each transaction, usually represents one live streaming session of sexual abuse over 2,000 potential offences that took place with a huge amount of harm that is inflicted on children in the Philippines. Another thing that we did with this AusTrack data is that we were able to link it with data held by the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission or the ACIC as we call them and this is because the ACIC holds criminal records across Australia. So what we found is that these people who paid to watch live streaming of child sexual abuse were typically aged in their 50s and 60s and half of them had no criminal record and only 10% of these offenders had a recorded sexual offense in their histories so this meant that most of these offenders hadn't been detected for any types of sexual offending including live streaming of child sexual abuse we also found that each time they made a transaction they took less time to make that transaction and they spent more money and we speculated that this might be an indication of an escalation in the severity of offending, um, so paying for more severe abuse and doing it more frequently. But it was difficult to tell from the data that we had.
0: And just to clarify, this isn't payments that are going through blockchain currencies or anything like that. These are transactions being made under the nose of the authorities through the banking system?
1: That's right. Literally just making it a simple international bank transfer very unsophisticated. They have to include their name and their address. So no use of cryptocurrencies in this sample, quite standard and unsophisticated.
0: So in terms of what you found then, what's that tell us about how we should be focusing law enforcement attention?
1: I think focusing on the actual transactions can help law enforcement and banks and so on add to their profile of indicators. In this case, they can look at fairly small amounts, typically under $100 made frequently, and to vulnerable countries like the Philippines. And to add more indicators to a profile, you're typically looking at offenders or individuals aged over 40 years with limited criminal histories. It's very important to stress that just because someone fits this profile, it doesn't mean that they're a live streaming offender. I think this information can simply be used to flag suspicious transactions for further investigation.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what happened. We're just finishing up some research where we're looking at the chat logs of some of these offenders who engaged in child sexual abuse live streaming. And at least two of these offenders are actually identified by Austrac through their transactions to some of these remittance services, as Sarah was suggesting. So you mentioned
0: chat logs. Uh, the latest area of research that you're involved in in terms of live streaming. Tell us a bit about
2: the chat logs then. Where did you get the chat logs from and what did they contain? Yeah, this material is live streamed. There's no evidence left behind. The only evidence that really is left behind is the financial records. But also these people have to communicate with victims and facilitators over the internet in some way. So another form of evidence that does exist for this type of crime, they're chat logs. So what we wanted to do is get a better understanding about how their conversations go with these victims and facilitators. So we got some chat logs of seven Australian men from the Australian Federal Police, and these men had all been investigated for engaging in this type of offence. And these chat logs contain quite a lot of information, things about the kinds of abuse they're requesting from these children, the kinds of ages that they're requesting for that sort of abuse how they managed to meet other individuals online, what sort of platforms they were using. The facilitators, it was also interesting about finding out how that contact actually initiated. For one of the cases that we had, the chat logs of this offender were from Facebook, and they were actually contacted seemingly out of the blue by a woman from the Philippines over Facebook. And by what the offender had in his chat log, he didn't seem to have any idea who this person was. And within a couple of minutes, he's viewing photos on a profile of the children and requesting to see them over live stream. So
0: incredibly quick and using
2: standard social media platforms that we all use. They weren't even transferring the conversation to other platforms quite often. They'd often just use the video call function on Facebook Messenger to view the live streaming. So as Sarah said, a lot of them weren't using false names or anything like that. And the offenders would use their bank account, send this information to the victim or facilitator in the Philippines with their exact identity connected to it. So
0: handing over their sensitive personal details to people that never met, in theory, makes this easier for law enforcement down the line to be able to
2: investigate? you think so. Unfortunately, the chat logs themselves, they don't often contain what occurs during the live stream show. That really still is hidden from a lot of the evidence that we have. Some of the cases were able to have a pretty strong idea about what sorts of abuse were occurring live over video based on certain things they were talking about, what the offenders were requesting to happen. And in some cases, this was really quite severe abuse.
1: These are probably some of the most shocking cases I've ever read. A lot of it because of the dehumanizing elements. Some offenders would really treat the children as objects. And because these children in the Philippines and other countries are so vulnerable because of poverty, really anything's on the table in terms of abuse.
2: There's a couple of ways that we found that they actually contact these victims and facilitators over the internet as well. So one of the ways that they're actually doing it is just over mainstream social media platforms like we already mentioned they'd either reach out to people on these platforms or on online dating websites and either be offered live streaming by these women's children or they'd actually be contacting children on these websites themselves. The other way is that they'd actually travel to the Philippines and befriend people whilst they're over there. Then when they return back to Australia, they maintain that relationship and then they're either offered live streaming by people in this family or through people connected to this family that they end up contacting again online. Often, there's bargaining going on between the offender and the facilitator or the victim over really really small sums of money in comparison to the level of abuse that's really occurring against these children. And it wasn't just the price of a single show that they'd often bargain over. If an offender requested more severe abuse than they'd previously been requesting, in one case this was linked with them having to pay more money for another offender, they got the same level of abuse against children for much much less money, only about 15 Australian dollars. Um, and then again, another offender also bargained with a facilitator in the offer of lifetime shows forever, and he ended up paying about 400 Australian dollars for that. We couldn't see anything in the chat logs so that would indicate he received any of these shows, which suggests he got scammed and paid money and didn't get anything back. And this is also something that happened quite a bit in these chat logs.
1: Yeah, it's a very typical conversation in negotiating with a facilitator goes something like the offender saying, hi, what ages do you have? And the facilitator says, I've got a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old and a 13-year-old girl. And the offender says, I'd like the 12-year-old, please. And I want her to do this and requests a specific act. And then the facilitator will say, no problem, please pay 2000 pesos, which is around 55 Australian dollars, and then bargain over the price a bit. Then the offender will make the payment and they'll receive this live streaming session. And I wanted to mention also the characteristics of the facilitators. And when we talk about facilitators, we're talking about the trafficker who sort of arranges the sexual abuse of the child at the other end and often collects the money. These facilitators tend to be young females. With our study, they tended to be in their 20s. And they were usually always a family member of the victim who they were exploiting. So most commonly, they were the mother or the older siblings. These women were usually poverty stricken, asking offenders for money for clothes and food and school tuition and that kind of thing. Some of the facilitators we found were actually under 18 themselves and were being exploited. So it indicates that facilitators might start off as child victims themselves and then move on to becoming facilitators when customers ask them for access to younger children and so on.
0: With all this, you've learned about what live streaming of child sex abuse involves. What are the lessons here for for how we might be able to disrupt or prevent live streaming of child sex abuse?
1: Well, the first point that I can think of is that while a lot of live streaming offenders do search for children online, some men appeared to actually go searching for adult women, and then they would actually get offered live streaming of child sexual abuse by these women who they met online. While this doesn't downplay their offending at all, they still did horrible things once they agreed to view the live streaming of child sexual abuse, but it tells us that some of these offenders are opportunistic in nature. While they might be susceptible to abusing children, they might not initially set out to do that. So these offenders might be responsive to situational crime prevention measures. So one example of this is using say pop-up warning messages when someone enters certain search terms into uh, a website saying you could go to jail by viewing this material or do you need help here's a number to call for treatment these kind of messages could potentially be implemented on the sites that that these offenders are, are searching for
2: and that sort of technological approach should also be used a bit more in other ways with child sexual abuse material images and videos The technology companies currently have things in place to actually detect this. So Microsoft's developed PhotoDNA, Google's developed their own tools to detect child abuse images and videos as well. And they've implemented this on platforms like YouTube, where they've developed their own tool. They share it with other organizations in the space like Thorn and the Canadian Center for Child Protection. In terms of technologies to actually detect live streaming video and live streaming child abuse, there currently isn't anything out there at the moment.
1: So at the AIC, we have funded a project by the University of Adelaide, which uses a web crawling tool that has biometric capabilities. So this includes facial recognition and voice recognition. The aim of their study is to actually test whether this tool can actually be used on child sexual abuse videos to identify victims and detect offenders through their voice and their face. At the moment, it's in the testing stage. But the researchers believe that it has the potential to do that. So there is potential to also use this kind of technology to detect live streaming of child sexual abuse when it starts happening or while it's happening.
2: Yeah. And heading into the future, one of the issues with scanning for content is end-to-end encryption and on platforms that already have end-to-end encryption what this essentially means is the only people who can view a conversation occurring on the platform are the person who's sending a message and then the person who's receiving the message so the platform isn't actually able to scan any of the content that's going on this form of encryption's already been implemented on zoom and skype and microsoft teams is planning on implementing it sometime in september this year so there's going to be a real challenge in trying to detect live-stream child sexual abuse on these video-calling platforms, especially with Facebook also planning on implementing and implementing end-to-end encryption in 2022 sometime. So what does that mean then for
0: the future in terms of live-streaming as a problem? Is this going to exacerbate the problem?
1: Well, I'll talk about it from the example of child abuse videos and images. So the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children In 2020, they received over 20 million reports from Facebook. Now, they've estimated that when Facebook implements end-to-end encryption in 2022, the number of reports they receive will probably be reduced by more than 50%. So, as Cohen said, at the moment, Zoom and Skype is end-to-end encrypted. If more platforms start using end-to-end encryption, then it's going to be much more difficult for platforms and law enforcement to even know that live streaming of child sexual abuse is happening. And when the word gets around with offenders online, they'll know that they have a haven. So I think that's an area we really need to work on.
0: Okay, so thinking about the research, what does the future research for you guys look like? What are you going to do to explore this issue in greater detail that could help find a solution?
1: So one thing that we want to do is link Austrack data with data from Australian Border Force. As Cohen said, some offenders actually begin with trips to the Philippines and they make connections with local families and that's how they end up finding victims and facilitators of live streaming of child sexual abuse. So we want to look at the travel patterns of live streaming offenders how often they actually travel to vulnerable countries and whether we can use that as a tool to flag certain people for investigation, whether that means stopping them from travelling to certain countries.
0: Okay, we'll call it a day there. Thank you so much, Sarah and Cohen, for disturbing but really important research you're undertaking. Thanks, Rick.
1: Thanks for having us, no problem.
0: And thanks to you all for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to listen to future episodes please like and subscribe. For more information about our research, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or our website at www.aic.gov.au. Thank you.